0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Trader Cup Crypto Show. I have got Arthur and I'm not even going to try and pronounce your surname, sir. I will let you do that. This man is the founder of Moctius and this Chief Investment Officer at Lapo. Now, I've probably pronounced many of these things very incorrectly, but I do appreciate your time and thanks for being on the show.
1: It's a pleasure to be here, Greg, and thanks for the invitation. Just to make your task a bit more helpful, Athanasius Ladopoulos.
0: There you go, ladies and gentlemen. I I spare you the pain. You can understand why I had a hard time pronouncing that. There's literally more letters in this gentleman's name than there is in the alphabet. So, (laughs) mate, listen, (laughs) let's cut straight to the chase. I want to hit you up. Listen, you've been around for a while. You've got a fantastic haircut. I've got to admit that much. Uh, listen, what brought you into blockchain? And before we before you answered that, what were you doing prior to coming into this wonderful space that we call crypto and blockchain?
1: Great. Well, my career is in um, it was in finance and is still in finance, so to speak. Um, I started as an investment analyst with Abu Dhabi Investment Authority, which is one of the largest investors in the world. Mm. And then uh, my career involved to join Lazar Capital Market as the youngest director Um, and subsequently to move into the hedge fund industry until the time where I set up my own hedge fund and subsequently I sold it uh, to another outfit. during that time, I got um, very excited from the aspect of technology, education, and finance. This um, this is a marriage of three um, distinct but equally very important elements of our society. And I set up my ed tech companies um, at the same time, driven by intellectual curiosity, curiosity mostly. Uh, I got uh, involved into the um, crypto assets world, not so much as a trader um, as uh, you are, but uh, mostly uh, from discovering the viability of the crypto economic uh, models that exist over there. So uh, actually I I reviewed uh, uh, many white papers and, and tried to understand and make sense uh, of the way companies were seeing um, the, the new uh, technology and the uh, business models they were bringing forward. And uh, how th- does that make sense in the society? Can it can really make an impact? Can, can, can it change the world? And uh, is it possible to survive through a, a tough time? And that intellectual curiosity uh, moved to the next stage after identifying a problem where I thought, um, uh, quite a few of these white papers. Um, were not really addressing a problem. We're giving a very surface, uh, solution rather than addressing the cause of the problems. Um, I, I, th- I, went, uh, I went back to the drawing board and I developed my own um, crypto uh, econometric model to create value. And if you like, I can give you an example, most of the people speak about volatility as the main cause of lack of adoption from the cryptocurrencies. Um, However, they forget that volatility is a symptom. Yeah. And the cause is underneath lack of value creation, for example, a fundamental value creation that leads to volatility. And everyone tries tries to address volatility uh, without thinking of addressing the problem first, and that will impact the the volatility itself. So I I was excited about that.
0: So um, what's the goal? I mean, obviously you're involved. You've had a fairly illustrious career to this point. Um, What is your focus? What's the end goal? What's your vision with what you're working on right now?
1: I I have been always um, intrigued by chasing the... um, The challenging parts, uh, when I started my hedge fund was a director dealings, corporate insider's transactions. So I developed a pattern to understand the transactions of senior executives when they buy and sell shares in their own companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was quite challenging. And I started from the winter balcony, uh, as the story goes, uh, before it became what it became. Uh, Equally, when, um, when I came into the crypto world, I realized that the potential exists there to create a universal currency, something that we rival fiat currencies. But the the way the existing cryptocurrencies were set up could not meet that expectation. So I embarked on this challenging um, um, target and vision, I suppose, to um, build this this, um, uh, utility and then subsequently... uh, Currency that will serve the world and I joined Lapo.io because of the team. The team has got um, a it's an open-minded team And they have a promising uh, platform uh, a fintech company and the idea behind it is that um, uh, Pretty soon we'll be able to launch uh, uh, that Service to the world because it's a service to the world. I mean the implications are humongous if, if it is successful and it will affect um Economies, it can affect economies, but also on the bottom line of the pyramid, it will affect people's lives. Hmm. Okay, so look, I suppose the whole um,
0: evangelical side of crypto is a wonderful thing to talk about, right? We, you know, everyone does uh, taking the power back, and you know, banks. If we actually look at banks and governments, I mean. I'm here in Australia, and we have some serious issues right now on our plate, and we have an election coming up in a month uh, for our leader. Uh, we have horrible infighting uh, whereby the, uh, the party decides who's the leader as opposed to the people. There's a lot of issues uh, in Australian politics, and that has been dominant. For the last ten years or so, we actually have a world record here for the most leaders in a period of time. We continue to uh, have a shocker, as we would say in Australia. Now, when it comes to cryptocurrency, we look at this space as something that is for uh, for the people to help us to regain a certain amount of control and to give us our own freedom. Now. What do you think are the hurdles, based on your philosophy, what do you think are the major hurdles to us actually achieving a cryptocurrency or multiple cryptocurrencies that are actually used as currencies? And I'll, I'll go on from there. If we look at Facebook, if we look at um, Starbucks, it makes perfect sense for these types of companies to have their own currency because they can log who spends what where and they effectively own an entire economy. But looking outside of that, because that's not what cryptocurrency is about. How mm-hmm. do we, what are the issues or what are the hurdles we need to overcome to allow your average Joe on the street to have a benefit from using a cryptocurrency over a fiat currency?
1: Yes. Um- One of the major issues that we need to address is um, scalability and acceptance. Um, In order to have a currency, uh, it's a a unit of account, but also a unit of transaction. And that involves transact with another party, one or many other parties. So the other parties should feel confident and comfortable and trust that whatever you transact with as a means of transaction, maintain its own value. So that comes back to the same word, volatility. A company, is unlikely to adopt Bitcoin, for example, because it would have to, um, a company has to make sure that it knows what it pays for what it's going to deliver, even down the road, a few months down the road, being supplies or anything like this. But also as an employee, if you get paid with an instrument, with a currency that it might go 20% up or down, And because you don't know if it's going to go up and down, most likely is you go and spend your money straight away Mm. in order to avoid the drawdown, which will affect you paying your rent, for example. And that's exactly what happens with currencies which depreciate. Employees getting paid and they go and spend their money straight away buying goods and services so they don't suffer the depreciation. It's not too far to see why the adoption hasn't been great, because there is no stability, and that brings me to my first initial assumption that Bitcoin was never built to replace or even be placed next to fiat currencies in the long run. It was built to, um, let's say, um, because we don't like the system or the the, the crypto banks. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, they, they didn't like the banking system or whatever, uh, and, and they. Conversed and created a very strong uh, uh, instrument that it, it would allow them to transact. But in order to go global and scale, you need the trust and stability. Mm. And only an instrument that provides stability could approximate or become identical or better of fiat currency. And when I say stability, here is I, I think where um, a lot of the, the magic rests. Stability doesn't mean just a stable coin because you when you peg to something like a dollar a fiat currency or you peg um, just a a commodity or you peg to a basket of cryptocurrencies what you do is you take the volatility of one asset and you transfer it to the other to stabilize it yeah to to stabilize it but you take the volatility which means you would move in peg with the other asset or currency you, you stabilized. And now I'm going to pose the question to you and your, cast, and your audience. Um, in in the long run, pegs between countries, because this is where it goes to when you talk about currencies. They don't work. Really done because countries trade goods and services between themselves. And they want to have visibility for the trades they do. So the weakest pegs to the strongest. Mexico pegs to the U.S. Yeah but they trade something. When you have a, a, a cryptocurrency which is just a, a, a code and pegged to dollar, what is going to happen the next time you have a crisis? And I'm not talking about the stock market going down 10%. I'm, not, I'm talking about a black swan. We yeah. had you know, 10 black swans the last 100 years. The, the peg may, may dissolve very fast. And when a peg dissolves, the price of the weakest asset that is pegged, I call it asset, but you know for, for communicating, not just drops, it, it gaps down.
0: It, it gets eliminated.
1: And that word that you use eliminated is killing trust. You cannot have a currency when the trust is being killed. So the way to, do, to counterfeit that, I suppose, to, to counterfight that is you have to find a way that you preserve the value of the asset or the Mm -hmm. currency which is linked to an asset somehow but also a way to walk away from the one-to-one volatility parity. So you find a way that to peg with something that has got low volatility over the long term preserves value which means at least the minimum thing it does is fights off inflation. So it doesn't erode your purchasing power because at the end of the day, that's what you care, not the number, Mm -hmm. but how much the number represents in goods and services in your own basket. Um, And also a way that can take the volatility of the market and convert it into real value. Mm -hmm. So you have an incremental accumulation of value when the volatility is high. So let the others jump around and dance with volatility. Can you grasp the volatility and convert it in real time to a real asset? Then you have incremental value accumulation even in the time of volatility. That's the thing where the the secret sauce uh, rests. And that's the excitement that drove me to come into the crypto world and try to solve that puzzle. And I think I I have that.
0: Well, let me stop you right there because I'm afraid you're speaking too much logic for this show. Uh, You are speaking far too much logic right here. There's gonna be a lot of crypto enthusiasts going, oh, wow, 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 wow. but the fact of the matter is, is that you what you've just nailed is exactly right. Um, I'm I've been trading for 13 years. And throughout that 13 year period, there was a three-year period where the U uh, was two or three years. The Euro was pegged to the Swiss. And I know that you're in Switzerland in Crypto Valley right now. Um, it was pegged at one point two. Mm-hmm. Now, As a trader or foreign exchange, there was a really simple trade for me. It was as soon as it got within 10 points of 1.2, I had a buy order. And that buy order would sit there for months and months and months. But the second it got filled, the market would move. Now, I, I, had, I had three good trades over probably, well, I had three good trades that were of significant profit to my bottom line over that two to three year period where the peg was there. Now, I was under no illusion that the peg would not last because uh, when the peg came in, I, I thought it was a wonderful, um, we actually spoke within my trading community at the time. We spoke of it and said, look, you know, are the Swiss smartest people in the world? Because you don't need to go and If, if the Swiss come out and say, look, we're going to peg at 1.2, the franc doesn't need to buy all that currency. You just say the name, you, you say the word and the entire world, Will peg you to 1.2. So you, the Japanese have done it for, for a long time. They've, they've stimulated their dollar, all uh, their yen, um, sorry, yen. They've stimulated the yen by, by buybacks, by purchases, right? Whereas we looked at it and went, well, if they come out and just make a headline and say we're pinning it to 1.2, then they don't need to spend $50 billion to pin that. By good press, they just need to say the word and then it holds. And I'm not sure whether it happened or not. If they did, brilliant. But the bottom line is is that peg still failed. And I had a six-figure loss, high six-figure loss. Um, And the only reason I actually made a profit out of that trade, believe it or not, uh, because of the illiquid uh, provider of my account. So I ended up making a few thousand dollars when I was down to that 600000 on that particular trade and I have never felt my testicles so close to my tongue, uh, in my entire life as, as well, you know, it's never a very nice feeling as a trader where you have the majority of your capital sitting in your account because you know what you're good at. You know, I'm a trader. I make money through trading. So, you know, my money's not sitting in a freaking bank account. My money's sitting in trading accounts to the, to a certain limit and the rest is sitting in term deposits i.e. because you know there's certain thresholds but I got that money back and pegs don't work they never have there's never been a single occurrence in the history of finance where a peg has actually worked and in the case of the yen I've made lots of money off of any government intervention typically if the government intervenes and this is what they, they do it very often the global economy is far larger an essential economy. So, if if the the Japanese did it all the time, like they would bolster their uh, their currency. And the second that would happen, the rest of the market would go sell, boof, back down we go. So it was a, it was a sign of easy profit in our space in cryptocurrency because it is still a very small market. I mean, if we look at to what fifty million Bitcoin addresses accounts. Um, aside from the rest of the stock market trading world, I think it's about 1% to 2% of the entire, I think it's less than, it's definitely less than 2% of the entire world that invests in stocks and shares. And that's not just in your pension funds or your superannuation. It's deciding to invest, right? It's a decision to do. The fact is that those people, we have only captured 1% of that the entire cryptocurrency crypto asset blockchain whatever you want to call it market is absolutely astronomically huge so you right now are working on blockchain companies right so what are you trying to do to capture some of that space right now in the different projects you're working on and what are those projects
1: well right now with lapo Um, other than building a platform, which is a fintech platform that, uh, let's say, uh, frankly, assume that it goes after PayPal services, in a way, to put some context uh, of the services, but more, uh, as well, issuing its own um, uh, card, credit card. Now, um, we embarked uh, in that outrageous uh, concept of building the universal currency. Uh, and it goes beyond the trading concept because if you want to have a universal exposure you need to have something that goes beyond trading and goes into the everyday use. Yes. Um, so people should see it and trust it for the everyday use which goes beyond I'm trading because I expect the instrument will go up. Beyond 20- speculation. To- Exactly, because if you do approach it this way, it's great for a trading instrument, for a trading account, for someone who is a trader or an investor in the world. world. Exactly, but it's not for the uh, John and Mary and Chris and uh, Catherine, you know, doing their business. And I believe that's the big market. This is the market where you can do great things with a universal currency. You can bring the world volatility down. You can bring potentially the world inflation in a parity. You can do great stuff for a cross-border trade. It's a lot of things. And you can even, you you know, we're not setting ourselves against the fiat money. No, Sam, no, that's not yeah. what we did. Can't win that um, one. We believe that there can be a way, and um, Christine Lagarde indicated so as well uh, quite recently that the private sector can work hand in hand with the existing banking sector, meaning central banks, where part of the operations are kept within a central banking system to ensure anti money laundering, um, KYC and actually traceability of some transactions while uh, some part of the monetary policy is given into a more open to the world uh, system where you don't use interest rates to manipulate um, and you possibly you you target pricing stability rather than inflation. That's not Lagarde statement, that's my my statement, just to clarify um, the, the last one. Uh, Because what really um, John cares is he's perception of how much money he will be spending for his family today, next week, next month, two years from now, five years from now. Yeah. So maybe price stability is more important than chasing this 2% inflation target, which when you deviate substantially from that 2%, that means you have to take punitive action that can uh, you know, slow down economies and make painful um, sacrifices in order to go back to that tra- target. Does Mary and John care about the 2% inflation? They care about what is in their basket and how much does yep. it cost. So I think maybe yeah. it requires a shifting the focus as well. And a stable currency could do uh, great st- great things, a, st- a currency with stability behind it, not necessarily a stable currency uh, as per se. Um, and also central banks can even, at times of um, uncertainty, uh, use the, the proxy of a, a stable currency to, um, uh, let's say, this outrageous idea, provide funding to the accounts of the you know, um, uh, poor, poor people, so to speak, to, to uh, smoothen the pain of a decline. Uh, let's, let's put it this way. But on the other hand, it that. stabilizes the system when you know that your currency doesn't go up and down, you don't have uh, depreciation, uh, which makes import of goods very expensive, which means you import inflation into your economy. Um, So I'm a proponent of a a universal um, currency that uh, sits on the board with some of the fiat currencies and that let the world choose. But how does it work? I
0: mean, look, (laughs) at the end of the day, we need the public to buy into this, okay? Now, of course. I, I know, I'm a 35-year-old man, do my thing. My father's retired now. He's 64 years old, all right? And my father still, I mean, my, my dad's never known what I've ever done. He thought I was a drug dealer when I was in London because I would work three hours of a day. I make enough money to do what I had to do, buy things and travel around the world and do all this sort of stuff. It's just because my father's a builder, right? He, he, he doesn't quite understand it. Now I've we we created a course which is free, totally free. com slash free tools and it's to help people to understand what this space actually is. Because I've found uh, a lot of people find it so much easier to bury their heads in the sand. And let me give you some statistics on burying your head in the sand. Burying your head in the sand is really easy because you don't have to fucking care. Ooh. Excuse my French, I I didn't mean to let that stuff out. Uh, But you don't have to care. You don't don't have to learn. No education required. But if you actually go back and look at the facts, over the last 10 years, uh, the global top banks have paid $168 billion, billion dollars in fines. That's for money laundering. That's for ripping people off. That's for doing the wrong thing. The GFC, the global financial crisis, which made me as a trader, I did phenomenally well throughout that period uh, as, a, as a trader, I did, because markets fall hard and they go up. Um, what that happened was that no one went to jail. The people that caused this and caused, you know, fathers, mothers, grandparents, children, they, they went bust. They lost everything in their pension funds. Their retirement went from rosy to nothing. Not a single person was put in jail. Bernie Madoff was two years after the GSC. He was strung up as the worst thing ever. He wasn't the worst thing ever. Yeah, sure, he was horrible. He did bad things, but he wasn't the worst. He was the poster child for all that bad. There was a lot of people that... Literally, and I'm talking literally, walked out of that boardroom onto the yacht, seller V, I am out. That to me, where we are in our global economy, especially in the Western world, right now, debt levels are the highest they've ever been. Now, back then it was caused by debt. Um, a lot of the debt was based upon asset-based debt. So property, subprime mortgages, what caused the collapse to a certain extent, irresponsible lending practices. Now I don't think we've learned from that. If you look at credit card debts, if you look at personal debts, if you look at the sorts of money that you can get right now without having too much for you, they've packaged it or they've repackaged it. In a different way, as we saw in the subprime, the things were being packaged as, as A plus, A minus. And even S&P, who is a ratings agency, came out and said, oh, yeah, we made some mistakes there. It seems like a massive corrupt boys and girls club of the higher echelons, right? Now, to wrap that up in a bit of GLAD wrap and put that to the side, what we have in digital assets, cryptocurrency and peer-to-peer, is the ability to really avoid that because we are responsible for what we do and how we transact. Now, I see that as the future of our digital asset space, our cryptocurrency, blockchain, whatever you want to bloody well call it. Blockchain is an amazing technology. But the biggest disruptor is the fact that banking has not changed in over 100 years years if there has ever been industry to be disrupted there needs to be an uber it's the yes. taxi world yeah. for the banking sector i don't know who's going to win i don't know how it's going to come and i'm not a bitcoin maximalist i'm an investor i'm a trader i'm a realist i don't know if bitcoin is going to be the global currency but i tell you what it sure as hell gives an opportunity for you to actually step outside of the norm and investigate some of the other options available. And the more people that investigate those options, Correct. the more understanding they'll have of that. you know what, we don't need this central bank bullshit that is all about you know, impoverishing poor people and making the higher levels very, very wealthy. That's why I'm here.
1: Yes. Uh, Bitcoin was the, the, the man who opened the man quotation that opened the, the, first the door. Pandora's um, box. Well, open Dara's box. The question is um, would it be standing there a few years down the road? Maybe yes, maybe not. Who knows? I mean, nobody knows. Nobody holds a crystal ball, that's for sure. Um, uh, my call would be that it uh, um, will s- still be around um, because it has got the first mover advantage at this Absolutely. point. It has created a difference between the, the rest. Mm-hmm. However, when we reach the tipping point, of perception or adoption of cryptocurrency as an alternative currency not just as a trading instrument then i think it would be something else that it will take the leadership that will suit better to the uh, common people and the businesses of this world it will give the certainty the security the flexibility the scalability the trust uh, the preservation the protection and um, if you want to put it in one word, it will not have that volatility as everyone talks about volatility and I understand up and well, down. Let's put it this way. Last uh, question. A- last
0: question yeah. for you. Last question, right? What would you say, I've got young kids and I know you have too. What would you be saying to a 12 or 13 year old who asks you about cryptocurrency? If they are, uh, sorry, if a 13 year old comes up to you and says, What's the future of money? What would your advice
1: be? Well, money is an instrument that is expressed through what we know as a currency. And money has evolved as the society of humans has evolved. Right now, we are in a paper society, a coin society. But um, let's throw the ball a few steps even further. Do it. If we believe that um, we will be a a very strong race and uh, at some point we will also conquer the moon and Mars and whatever it is, I find it unlikely that you will travel to that place or they will travel in some generations carrying paper money and coins. So in other words, um, it's an instrument that it would if he hasn't already is very close to concluding its life cycle and will be replaced by something else. And most likely that something else is a digital instrument. So I would say that, you know, keep your head up. Uh, it will be probably uh, digital currencies ahead and uh, rest assured that you, you will have them with you and, you know, be, be ready, be prepared, be able to uh, navigate yourself around.
0: Keep an open mind, keep educating, keep reading and keep smart mate exactly. listen i want to allow the viewers and listeners to find more information about what you are doing so where would they find that information
1: they can join the. they can go to the company website www.lapo.io or they can find me in linkedin and L-A-P-O.io. lapo.io yes
0: lapo.io Ladies and gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure having the man with the longest name in the world, Anthonasius Ladopoulos. That's correct. Is that right? Yes, indeed. All right, my man. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for your insights. Um, I, would, I would like to uh, talk to you again down the track. I think it's a uh, fascinating space and uh, you, you, you ticked a few boxes for me, my man. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that listen. It would be a
1: pleasure, right?
0: Hear that what he has about. And let me, let me give you one more little snippet of information. This gentleman that I've been speaking to for the last odd minutes had his first business at seven years old. I had my first at six years old. We did very similar things. We are cut from the same goddamn cloth. So if you like a bald man with a good smile, this is the man you got to listen to as well. We are much <laughs> Thank you. the same people. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so Thank much you. for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, Tretikov here. Have a fantastic evening, day, morning, wherever you are. See in you world.
1: soon, Greg. Thank you very much. Bye for now.